In Training with Watson Cook. As Christians, we're all in training to grow in our walk with Jesus. No matter if you have been saved for 90 years or if you're like me, new in your relationship with Jesus. God's Word is so powerful. We should have a hunger each day to dive in and train ourselves to live out His plan for us. So join me as I've been called to share my story and what I've learned through my short time in training. Welcome in to In Training, as today we look at fearing God and what that means. And this show was was going to be on the Lord's discipline and living with that discipline. I even mentioned that at the end of our previous show, but but the Lord had other plans. Uh, to be honest with you, I had had this episode laid out for several weeks and kind of knew or thought I knew where I wanted to go with it. And we'll get to the Lord's discipline uh, on a show down the road, but about a week and a half ago, close to two weeks ago, and for reference, I'm recording this on March 6th, but my youngest son, who is eight years old, asked a question, and he was scared. He was terrified when he asked it. Now, let me say he, he has been in church for quite some time, and he has brought up getting saved and being baptized in the past, but I made the mistake of thinking he probably was saying it maybe because he had just seen others get baptized. And I wanted to make sure he understood and was, quote, ready. I've since learned that when your child brings up that topic to you, no matter their age, they probably are ready. And they understand a lot more than you think they do. But back to his question, and it was regarding the recent earthquakes in Turkey and Syria, but he had seen where a young boy was rescued after being trapped for, I think it was maybe 11 days. And the boy said that a man in a white robe had been there feeding him and keeping him safe. Number one, praise God for that little boy surviving that devastation. But number two, my son thought that Jesus had returned to earth and was there in the flesh with that little boy and that the second coming was here. And he was terrified to know that he had not been saved. And my wife and I quickly tried to explain to him that, yes, Jesus was present, but that very likely was an angel that Jesus had sent to protect and watch over that little boy, and that his second coming had not yet occurred. And as he asked more questions, we immediately realized he was indeed ready. And I'm proud to say that he asked Jesus into his heart, and he was baptized yesterday, March 5th. So what does it mean to fear God? We'll look at that from from two different perspectives. One, rather quickly, and then we'll get into the Bible and and fearing God. But here with my son, you've got an eight-year-old, and it could be anyone of any age who maybe doesn't understand the phrase fear God, but, but they've had that moment or that experience in their life and now understand, hey, if my time is up, I know where my heart needs to be. So they fear God in the sense of not having him, if that makes sense. And I think a lot of us can point to that time in our lives when we either thought that way or we had that moment, so to speak. So it's fearing God as in not having God. You fear not having him. But then once we accept Jesus into our heart and we're adopted into the family of God, Fearing God takes on a a new, for lack of a better term, a a new meaning. 
Now, does that mean we're all of a sudden scared or want to avoid God? Absolutely not. Does that mean we're scared to talk to God or listen to God? No, that's not what it means. And I'll come back to talking and listening to God later. But when we accept Jesus and we're adopted into the family of God, it's then, and when we study and absorb His Word, that we truly know and understand who is the beginning and the end, who mapped out everything in between, who gave us commandments to live by, who planned out everything for us, and who is the only way to heaven. And we don't want to go against Him. We do not want to go against God. Why on earth would we want to go against our Maker, who controls everything in our lives? How does He control us? Matthew 16, 24, 25, Jesus tells us, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We have to die to ourselves in order to gain life in Jesus, to live with him eternally. So our fear as Christians is we don't want to mess that up. Amen? Now, in the Bible, the three words or the phrase, do not fear, is everywhere, right? Well, some would say, well, that's confusing because we say fear God, but then do not fear. But what the Bible says, what God tells us is fear me and me alone. Do not fear anything else. Why? Because he is in control and he is perfect. He gave this instruction to the Israelites. In Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7, after giving the Ten Commandments, Moses is preaching to them the greatest commandment. In verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Verse 6, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And then the first part of verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your children. Now, he prefaces this in chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you were going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Did Israel obey? No. Then in chapter 10, Moses is pleading with the Israelites to get their hearts right. Verses 12 through 16. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good. We see five instructions given here. Fear God, walk in His ways, love Him, serve Him, keep His commandments. And then the verse ends with for your good, telling us that obedience is only for our benefit in the end, right? Moses continues in verse 14. Behold, To the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. 
Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. As we talked about earlier, God controls everything. God owns everything. We are not able to properly love God until we remove the stubbornness from our hearts. Again, did the Israelites obey? No. Here I want to jump to Romans, where Paul is addressing issues in the Roman church and is speaking to a church containing both Jewish and Gentile Christians. In chapter 11, he is explaining the remnants of Israel and God's saving promises to Israel. Paul uses himself as an example that God had not completely rejected his people, although the majority of Israelites failed to believe. And in this, he is making the point to the Gentiles that they best fear God and not allow themselves to be tempted with pride. Romans 11, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read through this and then go back and point out a couple of things. Verse 1. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite. Again, this is Paul speaking. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Verse 2, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah and how he appeals to God against Israel? Verse 3, Lord, they have killed your prophets, demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. And 4, But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Verse 5, So too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. And then 6, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So going back, to verse 2 where it says God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Foreknew is referring back to the Old Testament and the word know which emphasizes God's special choice or the choosing or election of his people. God knew who he was going to choose as his people. Then in verse 4, I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Now Baal was a false god or a foreign god worshipped in Canaan that the Israelites, or should I say a lot of the Israelites, fell into worshipping. And then in verse 5, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. By remnant, God is assuring Elijah that he has preserved a remnant, giving him hope, giving Elijah hope that God will fulfill his saving promises in the future. And then in verse 6, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Here he's saying that God's election or choosing of his people and God's grace are one and the same. Salvation is God's work alone. You are either his chosen people or you receive his grace by seeking salvation through the Son, Jesus Christ. We can't earn salvation through our works. The logo for this podcast 
contains scripture from Ephesians 2, verse 8, that says we are saved by grace through faith. If we're not God's chosen, that's the only way. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we receive God's grace. And I'm going to reference back to works and faith in a moment. Then in verses 20 through 22, Paul is warning the Gentiles, and still in Romans 11, verses 20 through 22, they were broken off because of their unbelief, they being the majority of Israel. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, and again, natural branches, the Israelites, his chosen people, For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. The message here is clear. Fear God. God will not spare anyone who does not continue to believe, doesn't matter Jew or Gentile. But this is a humble fear that doesn't take God or salvation for granted. Now I want to go to Ecclesiastes, yet another chapter in the Bible that lends itself to teaching the wisdom and understanding of God and fearing God. In the last two verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Verses 13 and 14. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So, going back to the whole duty of man, this involves genuine faith in God as well as works, which are the inevitable result of true faith. So let's go back a moment when we were looking in Romans eleven six. I want to be clear on this because it took me a while to fully process this, and it may have just been me that didn't get it. But where it points out we can't be saved by our works, only by grace. How do we get grace? By faith in God. Now here in Ecclesiastes, it's saying works are a result of true faith. Huh? I'll admit to you, When I first got in God's Word, these things contradicted themselves to me. The clarity came when I learned this. As Christians who are saved, we're not going to be judged on salvation. We've got that, right? We're going to be judged on our works for our rewards in heaven. What did we do with our salvation? Did we put it to work for God, for His kingdom? Or did we bottle it up, keep it for ourselves, and say, well, I'm, I'm good, I'm, I'm good, I've been saved. And I realize I'm, I'm getting off topic here, and, and this will be the focus of an episode in the near future. But to wrap this point up, we are saved by God's grace. When we put our faith in Him, not by the good deeds or works we do on this earth, but if our faith is true and strong, our works will show that. Our actions will allow others to see that faith. And that's the whole duty of man. Back to fearing God, 
uh, to wrap up for today, I, I asked earlier, does fearing God mean we should fear talking to God, listening to God? No. But do we fear listening to God sometimes? Fearing God, again, is a humble fear that we don't want to disappoint. We don't want to disobey. He gives clear instructions to us for our lives, just like he did with the Israelites. And we have the advantage, if you will, of knowing how that worked out for the Israelites when they didn't obey. As Christians, as believers, therein should lie our fear of God. And again, let me remind you, I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, nor will any of us ever be. But when we stray off from or even fall off of God's path, we have that faith in us to talk to Him, to ask for His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness. What does Amazing Grace say? "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." Fear God alone. Do not fear anything else. And I'll leave you with this question. When you talk to God and you seek answers from Him, do you fear what He may tell you, or do you listen? Dear Lord, thank you for giving us the chance to relieve all our fears, to have the ability to walk through this life unafraid if we put our trust in you, if we fear you. Lord, I pray for those who may be struggling with fear, with doubt, who may be questioning why their plans don't seem to line up with yours. I pray, Lord, for the ability to listen, to listen to you, to put full faith and trust in you, to fear you. And I ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I pray you are able to take something from today's show and use it to strengthen your journey. Wherever you may be in your walk, know there is always room to grow in your relationship with Christ. I'm Watson Cook. Thank you for listening. And remember, we are all in training.